When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. Today we're talking about Amos, the prophet. You can read about him in the Minor Prophets. He was one of 12 minor prophets that we were blessed to know um, and have their work recorded. They're only minor because they didn't write or we don't have as much of their writing as some of the major prophets, but not because they were not impactful in any way. We are all major prophets um, in spite of our short short works that we've left to posterity. Hope you have a good day today and blessings. The prophet Amos is writing in a very volatile time. It is the final days of the empire, which has been an empire. It's been an empire that has gone through various ups and downs, and it's about to go into the final down. It's about to to end. But even up to the end, there are people that are doing pretty well. Um, This is what happens before empires or nations have revolutions or invasions or whatever takes them down. There's usually a very small group of people who are benefiting, incredibly benefiting, so much so that they don't want it to end at any cost. And I'm not an economist or a political scientist or anything like that, but I've read enough history books to know that this is how it always is. You look at the Russian Revolution, the Romanovs living out their final days in great wealth and opulence while many people, most people in Russia were starving. Um, And this disparity between rich and poor is a marker of a deep injustice. It means that someone has stolen from someone else. Now, I know economics aren't a zero-sum game. It's not like there's a limited amount of, of things to pass around and share. But when we see this huge disparity between rich and poor, it's a spiritual issue. And that's what Amos is saying. And that's what people are saying in our own day who are talking about these things, how immoral it is to be rich. Is it immoral to be rich? Can you be a rich Christian? Can you do these things? Um, Jesus addressed these issues, and Jesus is in line with the prophetic tradition of Israel, like Amos, who says uh, over and over and again uh, that the injustice that people have benefited from is going to finally catch up to them for i know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins what's he going to say many transgressions how great are your sins what are these people doing what's the evil that they are perpetrating are they clubbing baby seals up in the north pole is that what they're doing um are they are they beating their neighbors are they, um, I don't know, what you consider sins in in your world, in, in my world, in our world. I don't know what you consider to be sins, something that someone would scold you for, maybe you'd get in trouble for. But the sin that he's talking about is what we would call business, business as usual, what we would call economic growth and development, 
what we would call uh, making your way in the world. Um, we have a lot of different terms for this that don't sound so bad. We never call these things sin. But what is he saying that they're doing? You afflict the righteous, who take a, you take a bribe, you push aside the needy in the gate. So like every city, there's people that are begging and they are shoved aside. The righteous are shoved aside and bribes are taken. Uh, the real key to success, and this is C.S. Lewis, talked about worldliness. What does it mean to be worldly? There's a lot of admonitions in the Bible against worldliness, flee worldliness. And St. Paul writes about this, even Jesus um, and other New Testament writers talk about what it is to be worldly. Um, it was something I heard growing up in a very separatist kind of Christianity where the rest of the world was out there and we were in here. Um, and the Episcopal Church is a little harder to pull this one off because we are much more connected to the world and culture around us than a lot of more separatist Christians. We always have been as Anglicans. And I prefer that that way. So what is worldliness? C.S. Lewis, an, an Anglican writer from who died on the same day that Kennedy died, just a few weeks ago, uh, his commemoration of his death, the same day, didn't make the news because um, there was other news in the air. He talked about worldliness being that quest for the inner circle. Um, every organization has like the, the regular circle of leadership and authority and power and the way the money flows and all that stuff. And then there's another inner circle in every organization or every family or every community. Um, and that inner circle is the worldly circle. It is a circle that you join by invitation only. It is a circle that you're invited into. And in that circle, there are secrets. There are secrets um, that uh, are about how things are done, how things are really done. Probably the greatest example in film of this is the movie Mean Girls, one of the greatest films ever made in the 20th century or 21st century. I forget which century it was made in. Um, it was based on a book, a, a sociology, a nonfiction book. Uh, so a lot of people think it was a novel adapted to, um, to the silver screen, but it wasn't. It was a book of sociology about the culture of girls in high school and what it's, it was called, a book called Queen Bee. And the book went into the kind of uh, nefarious, devious, cutthroat uh, things that these girls will do to each other to get what they want. You know, the kind of social status, the kind of influence, and the kind of recognition that they desire. And uh, the movie Mean Girls kind of shows what that looks like in a very cinematic way. Um, and it's also got Lindsay Lohan in it, who went on to other fame and other infamy. And uh, so that's also a weird thing about the movie to see. But the movie and C.S. Lewis novel, the Hide That Hideous Strength, where he writes about this probably most clearly, both of those works of fiction show what it's like to get into the inner circle, to be in the know. Because in that inner circle, you have to do terrible things. You have to keep the secrets of the terrible things that other people did, and you have to do them yourself when the time comes. 
there's bribes, there, there's pushing aside the needy. And the inner circle always approves these kinds of things because it's for the greater good, their greater good. And this is what worldliness is, is when you're willing to set aside what you know is right and good for the sake of being accepted in this club, click. And to think that grown-ups are immune from this is ridiculous. We are all part of this. We are all susceptible to this, some more than others. Some of us are more susceptible than others. Maybe the fact that I'm talking about this with such passion today shows you that I'm susceptible to this. Um, quest for the inner circle. Quest to be part of this informal structure that really runs things. And this is what Amos is saying people have done. In their quest to sort of climb into this group that owns and controls everything, they've abandoned what they know to be right and what God has called them to be right. And because of that, there will be losses. Um, there will be destruction. There will be judgment. This is how karma works. This is how the law works. We break the law, the law breaks us. And this is the world that Jesus was born into. Jesus was born into this world where these, the same people, although generations later, were still doing these kinds of things in, to, to God's people. They were still doing the kinds of things that the prophets had denounced. And Jesus denounced them as well. And Jesus addressed them and confronted them. And ultimately, he died for them. And when he died on the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was his word to the powerful people that crucified him, to the powerful people that had destroyed the lives of so many. This was his word to them. Because there's always forgiveness, there's always reconciliation offered in Jesus Christ. As much as we can get angry at people who have done these things in the world, we have to, as Christians, remember that because God has forgiven us, God can forgive them too. This is the scandal of grace. This is why being a Christian is not just being a progressive person, or being a Christian is not just being a, uh, a tolerant person. This is why being a Christian is something far deeper and far more mysterious, and that is the willingness to forgive the way God forgives, the willingness to reconcile the way God reconciles. That is who we follow, Jesus Christ. And that's hard, and that's different, and that's weird, and it's going to cost us something. But that is what Jesus Christ calls us to do, because we follow him, someone who lived in that world too, who understood that there are many who hate evil and love good and establish justice in their gates. These are the people that will be called followers of the Lord, the God of hosts, the remnant of Joseph. And that is you today. That is you and me. Amen. On 56, Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified, Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And a colic for mission on 58. Lord Jesus Christ, who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of thy saving embrace, 
So clothe us in thy spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know thee to the knowledge and love of thee, for the honor of thy name. Amen.